Hey, welcome. It is seven minutes after 11 o'clock. The Biden administration is going after franchise businesses. Uh, that's a lot of small businesses that are going to get hung up on this. We'll give you the details in a few minutes. Also, a little John Stossel here, recipe for big government. Uh, but before we do that, since it's Halloween and we're welcoming your ghost stories, Brenda is on the line. Hey, Brenda, good morning. Good morning. Hey, I have a story, and I was probably 10 or 12, I can't remember which one, but my family, we went down to Florida to visit family and friends. And Uncle Billy Mac had built this house, and what drove me to, to call in is when you said to that one guy that was on a burial ground. Well, Uncle Billy Mac built this house on an old Indian burial ground, and he was an archaeologist, and he had you know, bones and skulls and artifacts that came from that area. Well, he also had a screened-in forge, and he told us the story that he had a dinner, and his friend was sitting there. Uncle Billy Mac got up, went to the kitchen, come back, and his friend had pissed his pants, scared out of his wits, and he said a face peered in his plate and told him to get out. Uncle Billy Mac went to the phone, picked up the phone, and called a somebody, a lady, an exorcist or whatever, and she says, pick this up, I'll be right there, hung up the phone. She gets there, she walks around the screened-in porch, gets to this corner, and all the hair on one side of her stands out. And she says, this is where they're coming and going into your house. She burnt some incense, put up some candles and crosses all around in this corner. And ever since, he hasn't had any issues, he said. Well, that night, I am sleeping on the couch, and I roll over, and I swear this skull was going chomp, 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 chomp at me. I got up, I told to my mom's dad's bedroom. I was like, oh, my gosh. And I'm telling you, I've told this story, and it has never wavered. That now, is how how old were you? How old were was, you when this happened? I was like 12. And you had just heard the story about the ghost? Exactly. So it could have been subconscious, but I'm telling you, that is burned into my mind and my memory ever since. Wow. I'll bet it is. I'll bet it is. If, if it's not true, it's a good story. Hey. If it's not true, it's true to you. You experienced it. You're the one that's probably still got uh, the heebie-jeebies just thinking about it. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you, we just seen a dog rainbow, and I don't know the history behind dog rainbows or whatever, but I always believe when you see a double rainbow, your loved ones are thinking of you in heaven. Huh. I've never seen That's one. Just, oh my gosh, we we I've had I've got pictures from like they're like seven eight years apart. I don't think anybody yeah. in heaven's thinking about me, but you know what do you see if they're they thinking about you from down? The, I'm sorry, what? What do you see if they're thinking about you and they didn't go to heaven like they went to the hot spot? I don't know. Maybe that's what all this heat, hot weather's all about. <laughs> all right. Brenda, thank you for sharing the story. You're welcome. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Can you imagine a little girl, 12 years old, hearing that story and then seeing that? I'll bet it was terrifying. Yeah, no. That's, uh, I can't even imagine. As a kid? Yeah, that'll stick with you forever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, we got us a little John Stossel. Are you going to play it from the outer studio or something? Uh, let me, I wasn't prepared to, but I can. Well, I, I can too, you know. Yes, you can. We so, have that. Which will, will it be? 
Well, if you're ready, I'll let you uh, handle Give me it. just a second, and I will be ready to go. As you can tell, I planned this out well in advance. Okay, now, I'm sad now. All right, here we go. A recipe for big government. Four million adults suffer from food insecurity. Wow, Americans suffer food insecurity. Food insecurity in the richest country in the world. Many families are facing potential hunger. Really? Americans are hungry? Food insecurity is not the same thing as hunger. Rachel Sheffield researches what the government calls food insecurity. Turns out it doesn't mean hunger. It means that they had to rely on cheaper foods, store brand alternatives to name brands, or that they had to reduce the variety. The USDA admits it. For most food insecure households, the inadequacies were in the form of reduced quality, not insufficient quantity. The government's food insecurity numbers come from a survey that asks questions like, did you ever cut the size of your meal because there wasn't enough money? From that, the government claims 33 million Americans live in food insecure households. They always want to create a crisis. Yeah, government programs tend to want to keep themselves going. As a result, their handouts harm the very people they're meant to help. Before government's war on poverty began, Americans were lifting themselves out of poverty. Once welfare checks started, the poverty rate kept dropping for a few years, but then progress stopped because handouts encouraged people to be dependent. Our government did something remarkable. It created a new class of dependent people. And now government twists itself into knots to perpetuate that by calling even obese people food insecure. The New York Times used this photo in its latest report on vulnerable people suffering, waiting for food stamps. Americans are consuming too many calories rather than too few. And adults labeled food insecure are more likely to be obese. The nation's obesity epidemic is growing. So activists promote another myth. Poor people are overweight because they can't afford to eat healthy. That's why they eat junk food. You know, junk food is cheap. But that's another myth. Healthy food is actually... A little cheaper. Yeah, there's this widespread belief that junk foods are more affordable, but things like chips and cookies, soda pop, fast food, those are actually relatively expensive sources of calories. They sure are. We compared the cost where I live. Healthy food like oatmeal, peanut butter, bananas, and eggs cost much less per calorie than a McDonald's McDouble or Coke or chips. Don't give me that horse that eating healthy is, 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 is expensive. It isn't. Go to a supermarket. They're throwing the vegetables at you. This comedian gets it. McDonald's is the reason why I'm out of shape. I would have got a salad, but you didn't have the option. So I was like, well, I guess I got to get 52 Big Macs. This community went 10 years without a place for folks to buy good food. Michelle Obama promoted another myth food deserts. She said eating healthy is much harder for poor people who live in what we call food deserts. Her claim got lots of play. If a mom wanted to buy some fresh fruit for their kids lunch, <coughs> that means she would have to get on a bus. But so-called food deserts turns out to be a government trick. When officials designate them, they deviously ignore small businesses and food stands. In the neighborhood where Michelle Obama gave her food desert speech, even the New York Times reported that this man was selling food out of this truck. He sold healthy food like blueberries, onions, cucumbers, sweet potatoes.
He wasn't counted in the government food desert surveys. But the media still talk about food deserts. For one in six Americans, good food is either too expensive, too far, or both. The media find deprivation everywhere. The new victims are college students. About 60% of undergraduate and graduate students are food insecure. Its studies show most students gain weight in college. It's bizarre that when obesity is the much bigger problem that activists and government hype food insecurity. But of course... That creates the rationale for expanding food assistance programs, for expanding the welfare system. Providing people with access to nutritious and affordable food. Expanding the welfare system seems to be the government's main goal. The federal government, which runs the SNAP program, announced an increase in SNAP benefits. We've spent more on the war on poverty than all the military wars combined in the United States without any success. Actually, it's been a success in one way. It increases dependence on the federal government. So the handouts are good for bureaucrats who dole out the money and politicians who get to sound like good guys. They want to know how we're going to put food on their table. <laughs> but these programs promote dependency, which hurts people. What politicians should promote is what Denzel Washington promotes here. Hard work works. Remember, before welfare, working was lifting people out of poverty. Work also has a lot of other benefits. It builds a greater sense of community. It gives people access to resources, friend networks that can help them improve in their lives. Working really hard is what successful people do. Encouraging self-sufficiency is so much better than pushing government aid. It's uh, 20 minutes after 11. I used to live. <laughs> I used to live in a food desert, Brian. I still live in a food desert now. Well, I was a, I, I was a, we had a condo by uh, Forum and uh, Grindstone. Or, oh, I remember that. Everybody moved away as soon as you moved in. Yeah. Well, it, it, I, look, I made the real estate values affordable. <laughs> it became affordable housing all no around. Wonder it's a food desert. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was within walking distance of Hosses. Uh, and then uh, you go a little bit further uh, up on Grindstone, and there were two grocery stores on... Um, Whew, how did you ever survive? I, You know, I don't know. I wish the government had sent food to my house. You should have gotten on the city bus system. They would have taken you up there. For free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have been the one riding it. Yes. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> food desert. Oh, man. Uh, let me go to the phones. Gary is on the line. Good morning. Good morning. I hate to change your mood. Yesterday I was watching the Federal Reserve uh, announced how many, how much debt they're going to have to issue for the fourth quarter of this year and for the first quarter. And it shocked me to death. For, for this upcoming fourth quarter, 786 Billion more debt will be added on, and in the first quarter, it grows to eight hundred and sixteen billion of treasuries. They will have to auction off and add to the debt. And at that number, that's three point two trillion in a year. And at that number, it's to me, it's exponential growth when you get into those kind of numbers. So. Well, it, it, the worse, and I know this is going to take a little understanding, the worse it gets, the worse it gets, but it's true. 
because when you run up the debt, you have to pay interest on the money you borrow. And the interest rates have gone up significantly. So it's not just the amount of money you're spending, but it's the cost of borrowing the money you're spending. So the worse it gets, the worse it gets, if you under if you put that all together yeah. in your one thing the foreign countries are stopping buying our debt, not just because we got too much, but because of the war. They're unable to while this uh you know regional world wars going on. So anyway at uh it's going to set up where inflation will never, um, they'll never be able to get cheap interest rates with that much government debt, I don't think, Gary. Well, they they will, when the recession hits, change course and begin lowering the interest rates again. Think of it as a pendulum, Gary. Uh, when um, When inflation is running hot, we raise the interest rates to slow it down. When it flips us into a recession, we reverse direction, swing the other way, and lower the interest rates to stimulate the economy. And the longer we keep doing this, and we've been doing it since the 1920s, the further the swings get. It it's, just gets worse. It's a royal mess, but Gary. It's, it's a mess. All right. All right, Gary, thank you for the call. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. What a mess. What a horrible, horrible mess. And Democrats just, they just don't get it. It baffles me that they don't get it. You would think they'd be smart enough to understand it. But they don't. And we pay the price. And, and Biden, you know... It, everybody is uh, talking at the administration about what a, the GDP report and how great it looked. And as I explained yesterday, that's going to change um, because all that free money is is burning through the system. But in spite of all of that, Democrats don't approve of Biden in large numbers. In fact, a majority of Democrats don't want Biden to run. And the more they don't want him to run, the more I want him to run. I'll tell you, my greatest fear for this election is that Biden doesn't run. Oh, that would just, oh, that would be terrible. I want him to run. I don't want them pulling the rug out from under us at the last minute and putting in a candidate who can sell the lies of neo-socialism better, who can tell us, oh, he's not a Joe Biden and he'll do things from the middle when in fact he won't, and ends up winning the White House. That scares the crap out of me. It shouldn't. It shouldn't scare me because I know no matter who gets in the White House, it will not change the direction of the country. It won't. Because no one has the guts to tell you what I've been telling you for years. What's driving the debt, what you have to do to stop the debt, and what will happen if we don't. None of them. None of them. Not, a, not any of the Democrats or the Republicans. They won't. Uh, let me go to the phones. Roy is on. Good morning, sir. 
Good morning. I'd, I'd like to blow the doors off of the words food desert. That is an urban concept, and it's an urban myth. I grew up, it was five miles to the nearest grocery store, and I wasn't, I was close to town, really. Um, <laughs> you should have to drive more than four blocks to find food. Oh, that is so stupid. Those people, if they can't find food, they should go ahead and perish. Well, actually, they um, they don't talk about driving distance. Uh, no. They just talk geography. They is don't. it more than... And I don't remember what the... the I, I clocked it out when I first heard the story or the, the definition. But I think it's if there's not a grocery store within a mile and a half of your house, you're in a food desert. Well, in that desert, I should have perished, should I not? <laughs> I'm not sure you didn't. Are you sure that I'm not I'm talking to a ghost? I have all this pain. Is that supposed to be with me if I'm dead? Uh, no. All right. If you've got the pain, then uh, then, uh, then, then, you... then we're good. But obviously, most of the state geog geographically is in a food desert. Only urban centers can not be in a food desert. Yeah. Well, what we need to fix the problem, Roy, is some more of your money. Sorry. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Don't you care about the poor? Don't you not care about people? starving to death in the inner city somebody i think it was your mayor um was talking about the underserved people in columbia and i'm just i cannot for the life of me figure out when i got served or how it was that i got served it seems like i've paid for what i've got yeah but you need to pay for what others don't have for what others don't got i'm willing to give them a whole bucket full of nothing i've got lots of buckets all right, Roy, thank you for the call. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. By the way, the U.S. national debt clock is already at $33,685,000,000. Can you believe how quickly that's moving? I mean, within weeks, it was a half a billion or half a trillion. And uh, it, I, I'm stunned at the speed of this debt. And just so you know, the amount of money you owe as a citizen is $100,297. But since many of you don't work, you're retired, you're not old enough to get a job, uh, there are people out there who are citizens that, that uh, you know, are housewives or whatever. So we really got to break this down to per taxpayer. If you've got a job, here's how much you owe. Brian, you owe $259,000 to the federal government. That's okay. I, I can raise that pretty quickly uh, in fines that I've charged people throughout the years for tuning out the Gary Nolan show. I mean, it happens like every day. People tune in and they hear you. It's like, ah, oh, can't take it any longer. I'm out. And so well, I sent them a fine, and they send it to me, and I put it in the bank. Well, and you'll so, need that money now because you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. You're done. You're kaputski. All right. The government, the Biden administration in particular, is trying to destroy franchises. We'll talk about that and a lot of emails from a pseudonym for Biden. This is The Gary Nolan Show.
It's 11.35. Glad to have you with us. And um, the the Biden administration is going after franchises. Uh, franchise Buying a franchise, uh, if, you get, if you can get the right one, is a great way uh, to start building wealth. And uh, a lot of minorities, I, rem- I remember uh, years ago, they used to say, if you could get a McDonald's franchise, you would be a millionaire. And there were people who went out and bought, you know, who, who would buy one. Uh, and then buy another one. They would have three or four of them, and they were making a ton of money. But last week, the National uh, Labor Relations Board came up with this new rule. It's the joint employer rule. And it reduces uh, franchising and uh, contracting opportunities. This is in addition to a rule the Department of Labor is about to finalize that would ban a lot of forms of freelancing and independent contracting, kind of following down the road of California. But apparently, these uh, some of these new labor uh, laws, if you have a franchise, you know, Smith's uh, Cold Cut Sandwiches or whatever, uh, you, you buy the franchise and then you make a mistake with the overtime rule or... Uh, you you screw up on uh, a paid deal, it 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 the the burden falls on the corporation in addition to the franchisee, which would mean the, the headquarters is responsible for what the franchisee does. This is a terrible idea. The standard makes franchisees and contractors joint employers with their corporate parents it expands the definition of employer from what was a, a kind of a common sense uh, definition uh, one of a, a business that has direct and immediate control over employees to one that exercises mere indirect or reserved control so corporations will curtail franchising and contracting opportunities because it just increases their liability concerns if somebody has a franchise and they do something wrong, the corporation gets held accountable. What a mess they've made of the economy. What a, what a horrible mess Democrats have made of the world. They, they are, literally, they're the curse. I, I would argue that Republicans are inept. I would argue that Democrats are evil. And they, in many cases, don't even know it. They, maybe that doesn't make them evil. Maybe that just makes them ignorant. But the harm that they've caused in the name of helping people is it's, it's more than you can imagine. More than you can imagine. 874-9390-800-529-5572. Uh, we've got some other ground here that we want to cover. Corey Bush is getting challenged in the primary, Brian. He, she is... There, there, what happened here, apparently Wesley Bell was uh, going to um, run against Josh Hawley. And somebody somewhere along the line convinced him to primary against Corey Bush. Interesting. Now, it is politically interesting, isn't it? She's an incumbent. One of the things that uh, 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 political parties don't want to do, Democrats or Republicans, is have a primary 
when they've got a candidate that's holding the seat because they got to throw all kinds of money at it then. If the, if the primary challenger wins, if Bell beats Cory Bush, then the Democrats have to throw a ton of money at the seat. Although I, I think if they elected Cory Bush, it's probably never going to go to a Republican. But they generally don't like to have this happen. And yet somebody encouraged Wesley Bell to challenge her. So that makes me wonder, why? Why would the Democrats do something that they, they normally would frown upon? I think they see a vulnerability there. Um, it, she's, you know, part of that squad, that goofball... Yeah, he, apparently uh, Bell called out Bush's stance on the Israel-Hamas conflict, saying the Congresswoman's initial response to the group's surprise attack against the country was not appropriate. She's gone too far for even the Democrats. Is that possible? You wouldn't have thought so, but... No. but but, you know, what's interesting is how many Democrats are, uh, you know, anti-Israel. There's a story at MRC-TV said amid, amid a war in the Middle East sparked by Hamas terrorists' attack on Israel earlier this month, President Biden's job approval rating among Democrats has fallen to the lowest level of his presidency, according to a new Gallup poll. The new low among his own party members is even four points lawyer, lower than Republicans' lowest rating of Donald Trump during his presidency. Uh, for the first time, Democrats now sympathize with the Palestinians uh, more than they do with uh, the Israelis in this Middle East conflict. And this is literally hurting the guy. Quote, Democrats' sympathies have been shifting for the past decade, and this year's 11-point jump Flip the net score to the Palestinians' uh, side, 49 to 38. Those more sympathetic toward the Israelis and the percent of neutral Democrats, 13%, both fell to new lows. So this is actually hurting Biden with his own people that he's uh, standing with Israel. So... How is it that the Democrats in particular are in this corner? How is it that they, they've gotten so deeply entrenched in supporting the Palestinians? Is it, and I begin to wonder if Democrats are just gullible. I mean, this would explain their support for all these other government programs that we see. I think they're just gullible. They don't know how to think. They're always told what to think. And I don't mean to be insulting, but if you're a Democrat, I think you just don't know. And it's through no fault of your own. I think it, it's uh, indoctrination. You don't know how to think. And I'll tell you something else. I think Democrats, this is rank and file now. I'm not talking about congressional members or, or anything like that. I'm talking about rank and file Democrats. 
I think they've got big hearts. I think they really want to help people. They are they're good people at heart. It, it, you want to strangle them because they, they don't wake up. But I think they really care about people. And because they don't know how to think about all the implications and everything that happens uh, down the road, they buy into this, you know, redistribution of wealth, government regulations, and all that stuff. I think they're just gullible. It's maddening, but I think that's what's going on. Uh, let's see. Uh, aid to Palestine. That seems like it's on topic. I'll get Mike in here. Mike, welcome. How are you? Hey, Gary. How you doing? I'm well, thank you. Uh, I'll tell you why I'm calling is, and I'm, I apologize. I haven't listened to your show for a few days because I've been out of, out of town. You may have already talked about this, but they've been talking about giving this aid to the Palestines, and they're not sure if they want to do it or not because they think Hamas may get some of, get some of it. This yeah. really, to be honest with you, it pisses me off because if I remember correctly, I don't even know why we're even thinking about giving Palestine anything because if I remember correctly, when 9-11 happened, they had video of all these damn people in Palestine dancing in the streets because the towers came down. So I don't even, I don't know why we're even thinking about giving them aid for anything. I don't care if it gets to Hamas or not. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be doing it in the first place. Well, you know, you're actually you're actually right, but not on a big enough scale. Why should we give yeah. money to anybody? Why would we give money to China or France or Israel or the Palestinians or anybody? Oh, oh I agree. I'm just talking about this just as an example. I mean, cause it's, it's what's in the news now. I, I agree with you, though. Yeah, uh, but, but you're absolutely right. They were celebrating so, when the towers came down. I remember seeing the videos. And yeah, and like I say, do, do, do we not? Do we forget all about nine eleven already? I mean, it's about twenty something years, and, and we're uh, like I say, I, it just it just burns me that uh, we're we're even discussing giving them money at all, uh, and the only thing stopping us is because we're not sure if Hamas will get any of it. Well, we shouldn't be thinking about it at all. Here, here, I, I so. think we I think we should make you the uh, ambassador to uh, Israel. Because uh, I think you got it right. Mike, thank you very much. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. He's right. He's absolutely right. All right. I uh, am absolutely up against the clock. Got to take a quick break. We'll come back. It is the Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. It's 1151, and because it's Halloween, I was looking for ghost stories, horror stories. And Brad sent one, Brian, and it's it's uh, it's scary. He said, I was approached by a horrible demonic fiend. He said he's from the government and he's here to help. <laughs> yeah, I run. <laughs> Get out of there. It is pretty frightening. Isn't it? Uh, Michael says, other than yourself, who do you think would do the best job uh, as our next president? I would argue practically any libertarian candidate would. And libertarians, uh, I'll, give, I'll get into a little more detail, but here, um, Chase Oliver is uh, a pretty good candidate. He is a, a former Senate candidate from Georgia. Um we got a, a, a police officer from Florida, Mike uh, uh, Mike Tremont, uh, Joshua Smith, veteran, self-described blue-collar worker. These are all libertarians uh, who are uh, kind of throwing their hat in the ring. Jacob Hornberger, um, any one of them, 
any one of them would be better than anything that is on the list from the left and the right. And what the libertarians are thinking right now, and there's a big piece on this at Newsweek, but what they're thinking right now is the two leading candidates are so awful that they can really uh, garner a lot of uh, support, maybe uh, maybe even a plurality, uh, and, and to win the national uh, election. So I want to I want to kind of dive into this. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I'm going to vote for whoever the nominee is because I believe whoever the nominee is will be principled enough to try to stop us from going over the cliff. Democrats and Republicans won't. Um a loss uh you know, I, I would prefer most of the Republicans over any of the Democrats. But neither one will do what needs to be done. Neither, neither party, Democrat nor Republican, have the courage to tell you the truth about the state of the economy or the national debt or the cost of the freedoms we've lost. So I am going to stick to my guns. I know that frustrates a lot of you. Most of you are conservatives because there is, um, I would argue, fiscal conservatives and libertari libertarians are pretty close. But what's, what, I, what I would hope to accomplish by having a strong presence from the libertarians is A, to get down party uh, ticket uh, 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 candidates elected. Mayor, dog catcher, city council, I don't care. You raise awareness, you find out somebody's running for city council or some smaller office and you vote for them. And maybe they win. And that that that's great. But winning the White House is an extremely long shot. And I don't I don't see that happening. But the other, th the other thing is that if Democrats and Republicans, and don't, don't get wrapped up in this, oh, the Libertarians take Republican votes. Libertarians actually take about 50-50. There are socially tolerant, fiscally conservative Democrats, uh, and, and they get on board. But here's what I hope. I hope that if the, if the liber libertarians get a good enough turnout to, to affect an election adversely for one party or the other, that that party says, if we want to win in the future, we'd better start trying to get libertarians to vote for us. We'd better start adhering to the Constitution. We'd better start reducing the size of government and tackling the debt. Because more and more people are frustrated with both parties and are walking away. Because we've got these two uh, likely unpopular candidates in the general election, there will be a lot of protest votes. Whoever wins the nomination is probably going to get as good a result in this coming presidential election as the libertarians ever have. This is perhaps one of the best opportunities for them since I've been a libertarian. But again, they don't have to win. 
They just have to make the parties wake up and realize if they want to win, they'll need the libertarians. And in order to get the libertarians, they're going to have to follow the Constitution. It's the, and I don't even know why it's, a, why it's an issue. It is the law of the land. It's the operating manual for the government. And it provides a great deal of freedom. And not just economic freedom, opportunities that, that government regulations take away. So, yeah, any libertarian candidate will do as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but I, I'm looking at uh, Chase Oliver. I've had him on the program. Uh, he's a, a, a pretty good candidate. Florida police officer, Mike Dermott. Uh, he's good. Joshua Smith. Veteran, um, any of them. Uh, Jacob Hornberger, I've known him for years. 874-9390, toll-free, 800-529-5572, or GaryNolan.com. And Brian, how much time do I have here? I've got about minute a minute. and a half. minute and a half. All right, Les, good morning. Gary, I would love for you and hope and pray that when you have Blaine Luchtemeyer and Alfred back on your show, that you would ask them to stop the spending in a way that I'm going to I'm going to suggest this. Blaine Luchtemeyer is a banker. He knows all about fractional banking. He knows it's a Ponzi scheme. Alfred went there to change the atmosphere. I wish that you would ask both of them that that on the national debt just to stop the debt from increasing when the taxes are brought in and paid, the rest of the debt for that year is proportionally sent back to the states on a representational basis. You know exactly what I mean. Send that debt back to the states. And when the people in the states say, what? We've got to pay this for the national debt of this year? Things will change, and they'll change quickly. I hope you ask them proportionally to the states representative of what they are spending all right, Les, thank you. Les is uh, referring to uh, the, the Constitution. We originally would spend what we had, and if we didn't have enough money, we would apportion the debt to the several states. And he's right. we got to run. Whatever it is in life that you want, go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. You seize the day. Carpe, carpe diem and happy Halloween. And Gwen, baby, honey, I'm coming home.